And uh, this this book's been filled with uh, like one wild story after another. It really has. Some are magnificent, you know, just grand, in, like in the beginning, God's creation, while others have shown us at our worst. They really have. People at their worst. Cain and Abel. Uh, tonight's study is not people at their best, for sure. Uh, it's just, it's as it, it, we've witnessed this tapestry uh, created right in front of us as we've gone through this book. Uh, we've watched uh, this fabric woven of God's power and majesty, His incredible love, and the wickedness of man is mixed in, the restorative power of God's love, the highs and lows of the families of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they're all spread out for us to watch come together. And uh, this is creation. And this is, this is our story. A real quick uh, summary of the book of Je- uh, Genesis. And uh, very quick. Uh, chapters 1 and 2, the creation of the wor- uh, universe, the world, and all living things, and man, the conditions of man in paradise. And chapter 3, the original sin of Adam and Eve and God casting them out of paradise. 4 and 5, the history of Adam and his descendants all the way to the time of Noah and the flood. 6 and 7, the exceeding wickedness of all mankind, the destruction of the world by flood, God's preservation of Noah and his family. 8 and 9, the restoration of Noah. 10, the repopulation of the world and the table of nations by the sons of Noah. Shem, Ham, Japheth, and their descendants. Chapter 11, the building of the Tower of Babel. Nimrod, the confusion of tongues, God scattering mankind through the world. 12 uh, through 25, the history and migration of Adam, Abraham, and his family as pilgrims, the land of Canaan. 26 and 27, the history of Isaac and his family. Uh, 28 to 36, the history of Jacob and his family, 37, which we're in tonight through 40, the history of Joseph and his brothers. And as we move on, 41 through 50, the history of Joseph's exaltation by God in the land of Egypt and God's incredible plan for the, for the Hebrews. Uh, Genesis, the title given to the book, uh, it means origin or beginning. And it's really a book of origins or beginnings. Genesis describes the beginning of man, the universe which he lives in, and has been given dominion over the beginning of sin, the beginning of God's plan of redemption, and the beginning of of the Hebrew nation through whom God's redemption through the Messiah was to come. And that included us always. The book of Genesis, together with the first few chapters of Exodus, describes the events which led to God's establishment of his theocracy with the people of Israel. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you in Jesus' name. So grateful, so grateful, Lord, for your word and blessed by it. I pray that the word would generate uh, an enthusiasm in us, a fire, Lord, to live our lives as you would have us live it. We give you thanks and praise, Lord, for giving us your word. My wife calls this the owner's manual, and it truly, truly is. It teaches us how to run the machine and keep the computer dialed in, Lord, and we thank you for that. We pray that we would heed your word and listen with an obedient ear, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Chapter 37 of Genesis, verse 1. Now Jacob dwelt in the land 
where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bila and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream, and he told it to his brothers and said, Look, I've dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Then his brothers went to feed their flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. Then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks, and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him, and there he was, wandering in the field. The man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, They have departed from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come therefore now, let us kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say, Some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of his hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So it came to pass, when Joseph had come to his brothers, that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked. There was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Joseph said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let, it, let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up 
and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Then they took Joseph to Egypt. Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes. And he returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more, and I, where shall I go? So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of goats, and dipped the tunic in the the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of the Pharaoh and a captain of the guard. So last week Tony taught from 36, which was uh, a real genealogy. I told Tony, I said, man, it's really cool that you... You took it upon yourself to teach such a diff- difficult chapter. He said, no one wanted it. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. Okay, so here we are. Now we're in uh, 37. Uh, now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of, of Jacob. It struck me as odd that the history of Jacob begins with this account of Joseph. I, I thought... What? But most of the commentators and some of my coaches uh, tell me that this is a summation of what preceded it. So that genealogy that we went through last week, this is a summation of that. This is the history of Jacob. Uh, The history, Isaac and his children dwelt in Canaan until Isaac's death. The reconciled brothers, Jacob and Esau. Buried their father with their mother Rebecca in the cave of the patriarchs, where Abraham and Sarah were also buried. Isaac was the only patriarch who stayed in Canaan his entire life. Although he tried to leave, God in Genesis 26 2 told him not to go to Egypt. Isaac was also the oldest of the patriarchs at his death, and the only patriarch not to have his name changed. Continuing in verse 4, Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Billah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. And although Joseph was Jacob's favorite, he still had duties. He still had, he had to work uh, in the family business. It might be argued, as one commentator stated, there was a coarseness to his brothers. Uh, in the light of the behavior we're going to see down the road here, this might very well be true. Uh, And this bad report might have been justified. Uh, The initial thinking, I think, a lot of people, when they, at least myself, when I read this, was that Joseph was a snitch, you know. And uh, and so, you know, you have a, uh, most people have a prejudice about snitches, you know. But now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, verse 3, because 
He was the son of his old age, and he also made him a tunic of many colors. Uh, Joseph's brothers were the sons of two slave women, while Joseph was the son of the woman Jacob truly loved, Rachel. They were his half-brothers, while Benjamin was his full-blooded brother. Notice that Jacob is referred to as Israel. The name was given to him by God. Israel and Jacob are used interchangeably. That God loved Joseph more than his other children is stated quite clearly. Uh, the results that his favoritism was predictable. Uh, and a bad report that he brought them to his father. The stage is set for verse 4. Uh, it's important to notice that the bad report is never said, it's never said that it's unjustified. Okay? So it never says that, that this bad report was, was him snitching them off or, you know, it, it would appear that maybe they deserved a bad report. Uh, Joseph's, uh, given Joseph's characters, it's probably that his brothers deserved it. And uh, a bad report, though, uh, it, it's not mentioned in Scripture that it wasn't justified. The tunic now was more than a cool jacket. Okay, it was more than just colorful. Uh, this went beyond showing love and affection in a normal sense. The tunic was not an ordinary tunic. It's probably cut uh, di way differently from normal tunics of the time. Uh, uh, this one was longer, down to the ankles probably, and extending to the wrist. Uh, it separated him from his brothers even more just in the way he dressed. The way he looked was different. Uh, this was not a working man's tunic. A working man's tunic was shorter and with shorter arms, leaving somebody loose to work. Uh, Jacob, <laughs> Jacob was a suit. You know, he was in management. It was a badge of rank. And this didn't go unnoticed by his brothers and probably by Jacob himself, Joseph himself. Uh, and I, I believe overloving your children can create a problem, both for the child and for everybody around them. You know, have you ever been in a restaurant with a spoiled kid sitting at the table next to you? You know, you want to choke them. You know, you do. <laughs> hey, let me help you with that guy. You know, it's true. Uh, but this is all part of God's design. Everything that goes on here is part of God's design. Uh, Joseph was uh, destined for an incredible life and a life of radical ups and downs, more so than most any of us uh, ever uh, experience. Verse 4, But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Jacob's love uh, for Joseph was, it would appear, of a very extreme nature. He didn't just love him a little bit. You know, it's like I can hear one of the brothers saying, you gave me a sick, lame camel, and Joe got the race camel. You know, what's this? And, uh, and I can't help but wonder if jo Jacob's uh, coddling of Joseph didn't have an effect on Joseph. Uh, as we will see as we go through this book, Joseph is what I would, I'm going to describe him as an elevated soul. And we're going to have another description for him coming down the road here. He's a cut above the norm, but even so, he's human, and he's subject to being spoiled. We're all subject to being spoiled. There's nobody here. Uh, I've, watched, I've watched foremen at work when I was in the workforce just 
be laid low by people that, that could uh, kiss up to him. You know, people that were expert at kissing up seemed like they could get any foreman uh, and get him. And you had to be really careful of that. Uh, and he might have had a certain, a certain share in the animosity his brothers felt towards him. Uh, at no time do we read about uh, Joseph answering reviling with reviling. He just didn't do that. Uh, we read that they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him, but we never find Joseph answering in kind. Uh, how many of us would be cap- capable of that? I mean, it says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger, Proverbs 15, 1 and 2. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. Joseph, it seems, was never guilty of answering his brothers the way they treated him. He didn't treat them back that way. And that's hard. That's so hard for us to do. When somebody's mean to you, the first inclination you have is to be mean back. And these guys really didn't like him. As we're going to see, they really didn't like him. The next four verses, hard to understand Joseph's lack of tact, though. Either he was naive or stupid. (laughs) And as the story of Joseph unfolds in subsequent chapters, we're going to see Joseph act with incredible restraint uh, and wisdom and I don't believe for a minute he was stupid. Uh, perhaps the fact that he was 17 years old at the time, maybe that was it. Because I said a lot of stuff when I was 17 that as I look back on it, I just go, man, am I glad that that faded away. Uh, he's still kind of a, you know, he's a, he's a boy, kind of. Even though at 17 in that era, 17 was a, was a big boy. Uh, Maybe he was just doing what God directed him to do and he never questioned it. Uh, At any rate, regardless of his motives or understanding, Joseph does even more damage to his relationship with his brothers. Uh, And here we go. He says, dream. And I read this. I thought this was interesting. Dreams are sometimes used by God as what might be considered a form of lower prophecy. It isn't thus saith the Lord, but you say, wow, I had this dream and this happened, you know, and that's what happens here. In Numbers 12.6, we read, he said, hear hear now my words, is there a prophet among you? I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak to him, I shall speak with him in a dream. And obviously, this is kind of what happened with Joseph. There can be no doubt that they were divine in nature. Because they were indeed prophetic. They were. Uh, The three pairs of dreams in Joseph's life. The first two in this chapter. Two more by Pharaoh's ministers. And then two more by Pharaoh himself. Joseph's first dream. Now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers. And they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding the sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, you shall, indeed, shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Joseph's brothers are already angry and hostile because of his privileged position. Uh... And he occupied this position, you know, openly. 
You know, it didn't ever sound like he was uh, humble about it. But we know that this dream is drop-dead accurate. It's perfect. It's spot on. And we're going to see that in chapter 42 when we get there. Uh, Also notice that Joseph and his brothers are symbolized in the dream by sheaves of wheat. And we'll see down the road also that this is the reason for their reunion. Because there was a famine in the land. And Joseph had the wheat. It's perfect. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers. And said, look, I've dreamed another dream. I can see them going, oh boy. And at this time, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? Once again, same theme. It's expressed that his brothers will undeniably come under his authority. Uh, and once again, the ire of his brothers is aroused. Uh, this time, Joseph's father and mother are represented by the sun and the moon. And they're subject to him, too. And even his father is uh, bothered by this and rebukes him. Uh, you might guess that maybe uh, Jacob believes that his son is guilty of self exaltation or something. He's going, man, what's with the kid? You know, nobody's getting it at this point. When it comes to pass, they'll get it. One commentator supposed that the dream might not be taken literally as Rachel was already dead, could not bow down, and Leah died at Hebron and could also not bow down. But it could be taken to mean that Jacob, his wives, and all his children, both elders and juniors, that is the whole family, would bow down to Joseph. And once again, this is perfectly accurate. This is exactly what ended up happening. And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Envy. It's a noun, feeling of discontent, resentful longing aroused by someone else's possession, qualities, or luck. It's a desire to have a quality or possession. Now notice... But his father kept the matter in mind. Jacob, it would appear, considered the dream of Joseph with a certain amount of validity. Okay, Jacob didn't blow it off. Uh, older, wiser, and probably less threatened by the dream uh, than the brothers. He considered it. He probably didn't understand his prophetical nature, but he, he dwelt on it. He thought about it. He kept the matter in mind. And in spite of the negative reaction to the revelation to his two dreams. Joseph's appeared, he had a lack of guile, uh, which is one of the reasons that you start looking at Joseph in, in a, as a, an elevated soul, a, a, a good guy. Uh, he, he didn't have any guile. Guile is kind of like slyness or a cunning intelligence. And he never acted that way. He never acted like a trickster. Uh, there's never any negative narrative regarding him. And as we go into Genesis, uh, we go on, we'll see the character of Joseph develop into a wise and powerful leader. Uh, His ability to define dreams was an ability given by God. Despite the obvious righteousness about him, there were many trials and bumps in the road ahead of him. This is not going to be an easy ride. Uh, Joseph's going to struggle. And uh, he's going to struggle in a big way, but... He comes through beautifully every time. The privilege of his youth would be 
uh, would give way to difficulties and subjugation. You know, because you've got to remember now, he's 17 years old, he's got the coat on, you know, his dad loves him more than the other brothers. Everybody accepts that as the way it is. His brothers hate him for it. But this is his, his rank. This is his privilege. This is where he's coming from. And he's grown up this way. So he doesn't see it as any other way. It's like some, some rich kids that you see. You know, they grew up rich. It's not their fault, you know. I hate them, but... <laughs> no, no. I, I'll tell you what, I got... I got peasant parents. My dad couldn't read or write, and my mom had a third-grade education, and they they were raised in Sicily, and I love them dearly. Uh, they're both passed away, of course. Uh, my mom was 103 when they, when she died, and they were just chock full of wisdom, you know. So I'm blessed. I, I I was raised by very wealthy parents, you know. They had the wisdom of God in them. Uh, here we go. Then his brothers, this is where it really starts to turn. Then his brothers went to fill, feed the, their father's flocks in Shechem. Uh, tending sheep required moving them from pasture land to pasture land. Sheep grazed very close to the ground. That's why cattlemen hated sheep. Uh, and they can do damage to the grasslands if they're not moved. Uh, they'll, they'll graze everything off the land and, and devegetate it. Uh, I don't know if that's a word, but I just made it up. Uh, allowed to graze unchecked, they can strip a field of its vegetation. For that reason, the sh- uh, shepherds are constantly moving their flock. That's part of their thing. That's why we hear so often about a uh, you know, shepherd always looking for a stray sheep and stuff. So if you've got two or three hundred sheep and you're trying to move them, it's not that easy to keep track of them. You know. Verse uh, 13, And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to to him, Here I am. And then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks, and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. Notice the readiness that he obeys his father with. Uh, It starts to provide a glimpse into Joseph's persona. Uh, come, I will send. I'll send you to them. Here I am. There's no. You son, can you take out the garbage? Do I have to? You know, it's not the same. He's a good kid. Yeah, he was favored. Yeah, he was loved. But maybe that was because he was a good kid. You know, maybe that's just the way it was. Uh, I didn't see any scripture to the contrary. If anybody saw something, let me know. The tendency to dismiss Joseph as a spoiled brat has to be questioned. He just might be worthy of his father's love and affection. Shechem would, ha- uh, would have been an area of some concern for Jacob. If you remember, not too many chapters back, uh, it, was, uh, it was the location of what I call the, the Great Foreskin Massacre. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember, but uh, Jacob's sons... Uh, very crafty in the way they uh, they got a, uh, revenge for their their sister's rape, uh, where they had uh, they convinced everybody that they ought to have they ought to all be circumcised, and uh, they all agreed and they did it. They waited for him to be at the most painful moment, then they went out and took him out. Uh, so this is a serious concern for Jacob. 
the people of this region would undoubtedly remember this gruesome event, and revenge could have been a possibility. So Jacob was worried. Although, Listen, although Jacob loved Joseph immensely and favored him, there's no reason to believe that he didn't love his other sons. He just loved jo- uh, Joseph more. But he was concerned. He wanted, he wanted uh, Joseph to go out and make sure that everything was cool with, with the other bros. Uh, but per- perhaps uh, because of their attitude con- concerning Joseph, most of us assume that the other brothers weren't loved. But I don't believe that. Uh, I don't believe that uh, Jacob loved the other brothers to the ex- uh, loved Jace- Joseph to the exclusion of the others. It never says that. But notice that Jacob obeys his father and goes to Shechem. Now a certain man found him. Verse fifteen. And there he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, "What are you seeking?" So he said. I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding the flocks. And the man said, They have departed from here. For I heard them say, Let us go to Dothem. So Joseph went and after his brothers and found them in Dothem. Okay, I don't believe in coincidences. I think not too many people in this room believe in coincidences. Uh, God's in it. God's always in it. So I, got, I had to ask these questions. These are the questions I asked. Who was this certain man? He's not identified by name, but he approaches Joseph and he pointedly asks him, what are you seeking? Joseph didn't ask him. This guy comes up and wants to know, what are you seeking? And not only does he ask Joseph, he knows the answer. He knows the answer even when he asks it, that his brothers have moved the flock to uh, Dotam, 13 miles away, it places them on a trade route to Egypt, known as the Ridge Route. Uh, this is incredible. The guy comes up to Joseph, tells him where his brothers are, knows where his brothers are, where his brothers have taken the sheep, it turns out is a, is a, a, a busy trade route. So there's going to be traders passing by, better than they, where, they, where they were in Shechem. Now, if God wants to get... Joseph to Egypt, this is a much better place. Uh, this is not an accident. This is not, to me, this is not an accident. God wants Joseph in Egypt. He needs Joseph to be in Egypt. And he's put him in a position now to go to Egypt. Not exactly, you know, in a limousine, uh, but he's going to get there. And it's so easy to see God in all this. And there are times in our own lives we don't see God at work. Isn't that true? Uh, and yet the reality is that God loves us all and meets us right where we're at. And he always works in our own lives for the good. In Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, you all know this one. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, the thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. In Joseph's life, God's purpose is yet to be revealed, but through dreams and through seeming coincidences, we see it unfolding, so it is in our lives. No one understood, not even Joseph. Joseph's dreams, and who could see God's purpose in all this? So often it's like that for us. Okay? Uh, We are so in it 
that we can't see the forest for the trees. Have you ever seen a forest so thick that you could walk out 100 yards and you wouldn't be able to find your way out? If you get up in the Pacific Northwest, that's how the trees grow up there. If you, grow, if you get just 100 yards into the forest, you'll never find your way out. I mean, unless you have an incredible sense of direction. Because uh, you can only see this little bit that's around you, and that's the way it is with our lives. That reminds me of a story that it evidently, I heard this on the news, it's a true story. Uh, back in an area like this, a crook, uh, somebody had stolen something, and he was running from the police, and he ran into a thick forest like that trying to escape the police, but he had those tennis shoes on that light up, right? <laughs> and so he runs to the, and the police followed him, you know, they arrested him. But so much, so many times in my life, I can't see the forest for the trees. I can't understand what God's doing, you know. But you, it, sometimes you just got to stop and say, "I know you're doing something, and you know that He loves you." So you just kind of got to let it go and see where He's going to take you, and just have faith that it's going to turn out good. He's not going to mess you up. He's not going to mess you up. Wherever and and anything that gets me to heaven is a good thing. I don't care what it is. Uh, in Joseph's life, God's purpose had yet to be revealed. Uh, and all these coincidences we see unfolding. Uh, but here's the thing. God's always in it. It behooves us to listen. To, when I was in the Navy in boot camp, they used to use the word, it behooves you to study. It behooves you to wash your clothes. Uh, it behooves us to realize that God is always in it. And we may lose our focus sometimes, and we do, but God never loses his. He never loses his focus. Now, when they, verse uh, 18, now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. They hated his dreams. They absolutely hated him. In verse 19, we go far beyond sibling rivalry, okay? We're far beyond sibling rivalry. In verse 4, we read, uh, But when his brothers saw their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. They couldn't even talk to him nice. Uh, I would have to say I would have to hate someone in, in order to kill them. And even so, it would have to be really extreme hatred on my part. Uh, They saw Joseph coming from a distance. They saw him from afar off. And just the sight of him aroused this hatred in them. And they contemptuously called him this dreamer, indicating the impact that Joseph sharing his dreams had had on them. They didn't like him at all. And then in verse 20, uh, he hasn't even got there yet. And they say, Come, therefore, now, let us kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say, Some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. Verse 20 details Joseph's murder, uh, the details of his, of his uh, attempted murder or his planned murder worked out. Since Cain slew Abel, we have not seen another brother killing brother. Uh, also notice how premeditated this was. This, I mean, this is planned. This isn't one of those things where uh, with Cain and Abel, ah, that was premeditated too. Uh, 
even the details have been worked out. And even the alibi, even the alibi, they're thinking way ahead. They're planning this out. Uh, once again, the dreams are mentioned. What if Joseph's dreams had been reversed? What if Joseph was subservient to his brothers in his dreams? What if he said, uh, my sheaf bowed down to your sheaves? You know, uh, I seriously doubt that would have been murder in their hearts. Uh, pride, Xavier tells us all the time, pride, he said, is the root of sin nature. It was a prideful thing on their part. They, were, they couldn't see themselves ever bowing down to their, to their brother like that. It was a prideful thing. And a lot of times we, we kind of refuse the ministering of other people because we're too proud to accept it. You know, like it's like, hey, who's this guy praying for me? You know, like I need a heavyweight to pray for me. You ever see people on prayer night, on prayer night people wait for Xavier? You know, he's got the connection, you know. Yeah, and, but I, I, anybody that wants to pray for me can pray for me. You know, we all have the connection. Uh, but pride enters into it. They just couldn't see serving their little brother, the one that dad loved most. Uh, they can feel... Uh, they think they can defeat Joseph's dream by killing, but no one, it seems, has come to the realization that these dreams are, are prophecies from God. And therefore, they can't be defeated. They can't be defeated. This is God talking. Also in this nasty situation is covetousness, the conspiracy to commit murder. These are uh, the sixth and tenth commandments. These guys, they didn't make a clean sweep, but they got two out of ten. Uh, also in Proverbs we read, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. These guys, they were out of control. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall, 1618, 1632. He is slow to anger, is better than the mighty, and he who rules the spirit than he who takes the city. These guys are out of bounds. The brothers of, of Joseph are out of bounds and out of control. Their hatred has consumed them as hatred can consume anyone that allows himself to go there. Uh, that's why we read, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Nip it in the bud. You know, get it before it gets, it gets big. But Reuben heard it, verse 21, and he delivered them, him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. Reuben, is el uh, Jacob's eldest son, has taken a, finally taken a leadership role. Uh, I sure remember that Reuben committed incest with Billah, his father's concubine. That was back in uh, 3522. Verse 22, And Reuben said to him, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. Uh, the exact motive for Reuben's intervention is not stated. One commentator indicated that there might be reason to suppose that Reuben was attempting to atone uh, to his father for his affair with his concubine. Others felt that maybe he was duty-bound to care for the safety of Joseph as the eldest son. Uh, and although the motive is not stated, it's interesting he didn't just stand up and simply say, this is wrong. This is wrong, what you're planning to do. He didn't do that. He was trying to walk this fine line between doing what's right and not alienating his brothers. 
Uh, and it, it was a compromise. There is no fine line. We either right or wrong. A woman is never sort of pregnant. Yeah. Whenever I've tried to balance my Christianity with the world, one or the other comes crashing down on me, and usually it's the Lord. Uh, when you, like when you work with uh, non-believers, you find yourself a lot of times making little compromises, not saying something that you that you think you should say, you know, or saying something maybe that you think you shouldn't say. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. That was verse 23. The tunic was an offense to the brothers, a visual reminder to them of Joseph's status as a favorite son. By stripping it off him, they, re- they also kind of took away his credential. Uh, nobody carried a driver's license back then. We didn't have any fingerprints. If they took the tunic off him, he would have been unidentifiable in this pit. Uh, And you you might think that they maybe assumed a little bit of pleasure in ripping that coat off him. And we also can assume that it was probably very difficult for Joseph to see it go. It symbolized an affectionate relationship with his dad. Then they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. Throwing him into a waterless pit was a way of maybe soothing their consciences. After all, they they shed no blood, right? These cisterns, these are like cisterns. uh, They were interesting, these pits, in that they were smaller at the top than at the bottom. So the walls slanted. Climbing out of it would have been like... uh, it would have been difficult bordering on the impossible, unless you were a free climber or something. His chances of survival were not good. With no water at best, uh, I've looked this up, tried to figure How long can you go without water? Anybody get, how long? Yeah, three or four days in heat, if, if the situation is perfect, if the situation is perfect, maybe a week. But that's it. Uh, they said, and, and the, I, as I was studying this, I started to get really hot. I started to get really mad myself. And it started here, verse 25. And they sat down to eat a meal. Then he lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm and myrrh, on their way to carry them down to Egypt. Here are the brothers in a pit without his tunic, without food or water, and they sit down for supper. Uh, That in itself just got me. Uh, And it's difficult to see them as anything but callous brutes at this time. Uh, Stronger words come to mind. Uh, Later in Genesis, uh, we, we learned about his distress down the road. I'll give you a preview. Uh, Genesis 42:21. We are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. There, therefore, this distress has come upon us. They figured it out. They figured it out, and they they admit that he was he was pleading. He was pleading with them. He didn't just jump in the pit. Uh, this is good. A physicist could compute. 
the exact time required for his cries to go 25 yards to the eardrums of his brothers. But it took 22 years for that cry to go from the eardrums to their, to their hearts. I love that. I love that. It took them 22 years to finally, you know, have a, a, a bit of conviction of them. Hard-hearted is hardly an apt description. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell at this point if this is simple greed winning out over hatred or if this is an act of conscience. I couldn't figure it out. To me, it's probably all the above. Uh, but by now, they're committed. They're kind of like stuck. You know, It's like when you swallow something, you can't spit it out. You've you got to swallow it. And verse 27, Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our flesh. It's a good thing he wasn't an enemy, huh? Uh, and, his brothers, and his brothers listened. Yeah. It would seem amazing at this time that this would be a compassionate moment. But then, you know, I'm always one to try to give somebody the benefit of the doubt. Uh, how many of us, when we've, we're faced with the stupidity of our hate, and hate is stupid, uh, somehow relent and take the higher ground? I think we all had that moment when the rod of our anger fails, uh, and we end up. End up with a blank page. We can't make it with or without computers. And we end up, uh, one, of, one of the brothers at jail, whenever he, he prays us in in the morning, we end up clothing in our right mind. Uh, and in Price. Uh, the, the expression, I was really mad, can mean you were angry or that you're just plain loony bin nuts? Uh, and I've been, when I've been mad, uh, I've been loony, been nuts sometimes. Uh, I mean, I can't believe some of the things I'll say or do when I get to that state. Uh, this is, I bring out the Sicilian, you know. I get, I get crazy. That's one of the reasons that I, a lot of people think I don't have a temper because I don't let it go very often. I, ha- I can't let it go. I mean, because I can go from, from Jesus to jerk in a heartbeat. Uh, so when I put my mat on, I'm not really human until I take it off. Uh, so then which is it? Should we think more highly of the brothers because they spared Joseph's life or less highly because they figured they could get rid of him, make a little money doing it? And his brothers listened. That was in there when uh, Judah was talking. So... Whether moved by compassion or by greed, or if they were just being what they thought was pragmatic, this is Joseph's ticket to Egypt. This is Joseph's ticket to Egypt. So you can't think for a second that God's not in this. Uh, It was Judah who said, after all, he's our brother, so let's sell him into slavery instead of killing him. Judah was the son of Jacob who became an ancestor of Jesus. He's in the Messianic line. Verse 28, then the Midianite traders passed by, so the the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit, sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and it took Joseph to Egypt. I I don't know if 20 shekels is the going price for a slightly damaged 
and thoroughly hated brother. Uh, but that's what they got for Joseph. It's interesting that Judas got 30 pieces of silver for betraying Jesus. Once again, we have to remember that God is in this. And just as Jonah was delivered to Nineveh, regardless of his own agenda, uh, so Joseph will be delivered to Egypt. He's going to end up in Egypt. Regardless of our own agendas, arms are too short to box with God, right? And uh, we're all on our way to where God wants us to be. We can go against the flow, and it would be to our ruin if we do, uh, if we persist uh, to go against the flow. We can stay in the boat and do our best to stay off the rocks. Uh, God's in charge. He drops the rain. He blows the wind. He's the guy. Uh, he's, he's who we listen to, and he's who controls the flow of the river. Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes. Reuben had cause for regret. Remember, his intention was indeed to save Joseph, but his concern about alienating his brothers had caused him to come up short. I have to believe this regret was genuine because he tore his clothes in anguish. It was a a sign back then of, of somebody that was really upset, really grieved. And how many of us? How many of us had have gone to that point where uh, where we kind of compromised, and then we realized down the road that we ended up compromising the Lord. You know that we didn't. You know we thought we were well. We we were in it for God, but we were trying to keep one foot in, in heaven and one foot in the world. And then when it when it turns out, a lot of times it turns out bad for the Lord. We're not. We're not. We shouldn't do that. We shouldn't ever compromise. Not when it comes to Jesus. Uh, verse 30. And he returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more. Where shall I go? Find something a little stranger. He goes to his brothers, obviously distraught. Thinks his brother is dead. Lad is no more. He's horrified and he's in mourning. Uh, his weak and, I might add, selfish attempt to save his brother has failed. He was going to save him. But he, was, he didn't want to make the brothers mad. And, but, and there was no record of, of the brothers telling him about the sale. Though I can't believe at this time he didn't know about it. He had to know by then that what they had done. Because there was no body, you know. There was no body to bury. And as they go for, forward, Reuben has to be, he's in on the cover-up, okay, on the alibi. Verse 31, the alibi. So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. How often, how, and, and I know you guys know this, in a way I know I'm preaching to the choir, but how, how often does sin beget sin? Uh, how many should transgress and try to cover it up with a lie and go into another and another until it becomes you? There's this cool veggie tales. When my grandkids were little, they used to uh, have veggie tales to show them. And there was one where a kid tells a little lie. I don't know if any of you got kids remember this. And and then another lie gets told, and it gets bigger, and it turns into a monster. It turns into a monster, and the kids are scared to death of this monster. And then one kid tells the truth, and it, and it just breaks down. And that's the way it is. Sin, it, it can be a progression. A lot of these guys that we minister to in jail didn't make one big mistake. They made a series of mistakes that ended up putting them in prison. Uh, 
Here's a familiar progression we all know. Uh, David gazes upon, upon Bathsheba a little too long. And like Job, we need to make a covenant with our eyes. He abuses his position as king, and he has her brought over. Power corrupts. He commits adultery with her, and she becomes pregnant. He has Uriah brought back from battle in an attempt to cover, cover it up. It's disingenuous. He's not giving him any R&R. He needs, he needs an out. And when this fails, he sends Uriah back to the front lines with a letter to his general, have him killed in battle. Now he's going to murder him. So it starts out, look how easy it starts out. He sees Bathsheba. Nothing wrong with that. One time Daryl was teaching, he was talking about being in Beverly Hills and all these scantily clad, beautiful women around him. And uh, and he said, you know, he'd look and he'd turn away and he'd look again. Oh, man, there was one over there. Oh, man, they're everywhere. Finally, he just started going, good, good work, Lord. Good work, <laughs> you know. And, you know, it's... There's nothing wrong with recognizing the beauty of a woman. There is something wrong with dwelling on it. There is something wrong with dwelling on it and then letting your mind go, go south. And then we see a progression here, and that's what's happening. The brothers start out, they, they, hate, uh, they hate Joseph because dad loves him more. And he's got the cool coat. You know, and he's got the race camel. Yeah. Here we find uh, the brothers devising a plan to cover up their evil, absolutely evil deed, fueled by jealousy and hate, driven by anger, come close to murder, fall just short, and uh, instead sell their brother into slavery. Uh, then, and it, it, I started getting really, I was I'm getting so mad at these guys, uh, which is kind of funny because I'm saying you shouldn't get mad, but I'm getting mad while I'm reading this. Uh, Verse 32, then they sent the tunic of many many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? The heartless act of presenting this tunic to Jacob goes beyond understanding of anybody with even a shred of compassion. Okay, Joseph is their brother. Jacob is their father. This is amazing in his cruelty. It's really a cruel thing. Uh, At least it was to me. And imagine the horror that Jacob must have felt seeing his son's precious tunic, tunic of his love for Joseph, all bloody, as the evidence of the tragic end to his son's life. The son of his old age. uh, The son he loved more than others. Also, the callousness of the question. Can you imagine saying, Pops, is this Joseph's coat? We have found this. You know whether it's your son's tunic or not? They know the answer. They know the answer. It is. And they, they know the reaction that they're going to get. And they stand there and they lie this awful lie to their father. And I got just, I, by then I was just, you know, I'd love to get them. I really would. But the deception works perfectly. It does. And he recognized it. It's my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him without doubt. Joseph is torn to pieces. Again, Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, verse 34, mourned his son for many days. The depth of his sorrow that his sons had brought to their father can only be imagined. The loss of a loved one is tragedy enough, but the unexpected death of a, of a loved one is terrible beyond words. I have been flipped out ever since Sandy Hook School in Connecticut, ever since Oregon, and ever since Columbine. You send your kid to school and he doesn't come home. You know, your girlfriend goes to a, 
uh, Christmas party and doesn't come home. You know, I mean, you expect them to come home. Uh, it, it just flips me out. And all his sons and daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, I shall go into my grave, into the grave to my, to my son in mourning. That's what he said. Thus his father wept for him. Sometimes there's no comfort for particular sorrows. And there isn't. Uh, this is one of those sorrows. And at the end of this verse, we read, uh, Thus his father wept for him. Sometimes, no matter what anybody says to you, uh, you have to cry all your tears before you can begin to laugh again. And Joseph has to cry all his tears. But uh, this, I'm, I'm going to quote David Guzik here, who I think is just a great commentator. Powerful illustration of the principle that if we believe something to be so, it may as well be. Joseph was not dead, but as long as Jacob believed he was, as far as Jacob was concerned, Joseph was dead. In the same way, the Christian has in truth been set free from sin. But if Satan can persuade us we are under the tyranny of sin, we may as well be. We're free from sin, but the enemy is always trying to convict us. Bottom line, Joseph will laugh again. Joseph will laugh again. Now the Midianites, verse 36, last verse, had sold him into Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of the Pharaoh and captain of the guard. And Joseph's journey continues. He is not where he is going. He's not where he's going yet, but he's on his way. Uh, Meyer says, they stripped him of his coat. He had not been stripped of his character. By now, Joseph has developed a character that is noteworthy. Uh, he's often referred to as a type of Christ. And there's some comparisons that are really, he was loved by his father. God said to Jesus, my beloved son, Joseph's brothers did not believe him, hated him. The Jews did not believe in, in Christ. Joseph's brother rejected him, his right to rule. Jewish leaders said, we will not have this man rule over us. That was in Luke. Joseph's brothers conspired against him. They took counsel against Jesus in Matthew. They stripped Joseph of his garments. They stripped Jesus. Joseph was sold for silver. Jesus was sold for silver. Everything Joseph put in the, in, uh, put it, his hand to prosper, the pleasure of the Lord prospered in his hand, it said of Jesus in Isaiah. All things were laid into Joseph's trust. In John 3.35, we read, God hath given all things into his hand. Joseph's own brothers did not recognize him. The Jews didn't recognize their Messiah. Joseph was tempted and did not sin. Jesus was tempted in all things, yet was without sin. Joseph was bound. Jesus was bound. Joseph was condemned with two criminals uh, when he was put in jail. Jesus was, cru- Jesus was crucified with two criminals. One criminal was given life and the other condemned. That happened in, when Joseph was in jail. Jesus told one of the criminals, Today you shall be with me in paradise. Joseph was trustworthy and wise. God said about Jesus, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Joseph's brothers bowed their knee to him. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Philippians. Joseph was 
30 years old. Jesus was about 30 years old when he died. God, when he entered into his ministry, God planned the suffering of Joseph in advance to save many. Jesus said, God so, so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes on him shall be saved. Joseph was made ruler all, over all of Egypt. Jesus said, all power has been given unto me. Joseph married a foreign bride who shared his glory. Believers in Christ are joint heirs with him in the glory. Joseph was cast into a pit, later delivered out of it. When Jesus died, he descended in the lower parts of the earth and later ascended into heaven. Joseph was imprisoned based on false charges. During the trial of Jesus, false witnesses were brought against him, testify against him. And Joseph's brothers later repented for what they did to him. And they shall look upon, in Zechariah, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn. Once again, Guzik. I'm going to close with two quotes. Enoch shows the walk of faith. Noah shows the perverse perseverance of faith. Abraham shows the obedience of faith. Isaac shows the power of faith. And Jacob shows the discipline of faith. Along these lines, we could say, Joseph shows the triumph of faith. Joseph never complained, and he never compromised. So, Here's where we're at, you guys. Thus begins one of the remarkable life stories of the Bible and all literature. He was loved and hated, favored and abused, tempted and trusted, exalted and abased, yet at no point in the 110-year life of Joseph did he ever seem to get his eyes off God or cease to trust him. Adversity did not harden his character. Prosperity did not ruin him. He was the same in private as he is in public. He was truly a great man. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise that you show us what great men look like. Lord, and we pray, Lord, that we can aspire to be like them, that we can be the same in private when it's only you and us and as we are in public, Lord, that we can be the people of God that you called us to be, Lord. And that you would empower us, that you would give us courage, that you would give us strength, that you would give us endurance to go the distance, Lord, and that we would be worthy and, and, and profitable servants. Lord, I give you thanks and praise for your word. I give you thanks and praise for these men. May we all go home safely. And as the week progresses, Lord, may we live out our thank you. May we live out our gratitude. May we cover our sins and keep our accounts short and bring them to you, and ask for forgiveness. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all the wonderful things you've already done. Look forward to the things you're doing, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.